0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, everyone, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to be looking at the Day of Atonement, and this is quite a significant passage in the book of Leviticus. Um, There are several different signals in the Old Testament, particularly the Torah, the Pentateuch, that's those five first books of the Bible. There are a lot of signposts pointing to the significance of this very chapter. And within this very chapter, there are also signals pointing to the significance of, I think, verses 15 through 17. Josh, do you have that chiasm ready? So, in ancient writings, and particularly in our Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, there are literary structures called chiasms. So what this does is it points paralleled points throughout a text or throughout a chapter or even throughout books that have a center, and the center is the main point of this passage. So we're going to keep that up there for a little bit, and I'm going to read through it. This is not inspired. This might have some errors in it. Uh, How I prepare for sermon is now very different with two new toddlers in the home, so there might be some... Uh, like scapegoat isn't capitalized in 5 through 10. Not a big deal. This is not inspired, so don't take this and say, I now have the key to Leviticus. But I think this is, because you don't, uh, but I think this is a very helpful tool. So we see in verse 3 through 4, or sorry, 1 through 2, there's an introduction of the Day of Atonement. This day in the year has not yet been brought into their history. We see in verse 29 through 34 That Yahweh tells them this is a holiday, this is a day that will be permanent within our history. And we'll get to how it's not permanent now uh, later in the sermon. Verses 3 through 4 talk about entering the sanctuary, 23 through 28, exiting the sanctuary. Uh, Verses 5 through 10, the scapegoat to be brought to the Lord. And then we see 20 through 22, the scapegoat being sent out from the Lord. 11 through 14, purification of the altar. 18 through 19, purification of the altar. And then at the center, atonement for the sanctuary. And I think that is the significance of this chapter. So how is Israel to live before a holy God? And not only that, how is his throne to be clean when his subjects who come before him are not pure? We've discussed at great length that Israel is a sinful people. They unintentionally and intentionally commit themselves to wickedness and rebel against the Lord. Not only that, what we've seen in the purification offerings mentioned in 11 through 15 is that there are certain practices that make them ceremonially unclean as they come before their Lord. Now there's offerings for things when you're not sure if you've done a sin. And then there's also the reality that you might come to the altar unaware that you're just not ceremonially clean. Maybe on your way to the altar, you you brush against something that is dead. Maybe you haven't noticed yet that you, you've contained their concept or idea of leprosy, which could be a, a skin rash. So here you are at the temple before the Lord, giving an offering, and it is not appropriate. So over time, there is... There is this muddling of this place, of, of God's tent, of God's dwelling. This week I, found of a, I thought of a great illustration to kind of explain this. If you are a young father, I want to give you a serious warning. There is something called magnetic sand. It is of the devil. It is of the devil. Your wife might come to you and say, it's very therapeutic. They can play with it. It keeps them occupied and quiet while I get my devotion time or do the laundry or, or just have a breather. But this wickedness gets all over the table, all over the floor. It gets in their clothes. Amber Renee Lawson, second row to the back. She knows I can't stand this stuff. She knows. Just like markers and couches, who would do that? We've learned lessons, but but hate this stuff. So uh, there was one night this week. I came home. Amber had to leave as soon as I came home. And this, this sin was on my table. So we decide, me and the six kiddos, we're going to have dinner on the front porch. And that that will stay for the woman to take care of. So, you know, passive-aggressive much? Yes. It was taken care of. It was cleaned up. We didn't make it a big conversation because Amber knows that's just one of my pet peeves. I have maybe a million. That night, we get into bed, and I forgot to tell Amber this curse somehow made its way to the bed. So we have children that, that's in their clothes, and for some odd reason, they jump onto mom's side of the bed, which they're supposed to stay out of our room. That's kind of our safe haven. Uh, and, and they just roll around. So there is all this sand on Amber's side of the bed. Well, Amber doesn't notice it at first, but then during the night, her skin just gets raw. She gets really agitated. She's afraid like the dog might have fleas or something. And at at 2.30 in the morning, I didn't say, it's the sand, because I want to stay happily married. <laughs> so, so she finds some other, some other bed, and, and she sleeps there. This tiny little stuff created such an annoyance, and requires a lot of cleanup. Sweeping, vacuuming, wiping, dusting stuff off. Think about the patience of Yahweh as these sinful people come to the Lord saying, we are sorry. Chapter 16 is Israel making an attempt to say sorry. But even as they say sorry, as this the, and as they ask for forgiveness, they're still not fully clean. Before, before Amber came home, I don't know if she knows this fact, Zion had a little vacuum thing just going on her side of the bed trying to fix it as it's all over his shoes as he's standing on a bed, which you shouldn't be doing with shoes. <laughs> You've got to love the, att- the attempt to be kind but you just see the foolishness of it. Israel is trying to be obedient. They are seeking the Lord's face. However, they're not perfect. And they constantly need grace, even when asking for pardon. Let's go ahead and go to verse 1 and verse 2. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Verse, sorry, chapter 16 reminds us of the situation with Nadab and Abihu and how they lost their lives. These men were selected by God, led in his instructions, set apart so that Israel may live in relation to God, yet they were struck down for offering strange fire. We find this introduction, Aaron is not included, but Moses is drawn out as a significant person, holier, more important, a greater mediator than the high priest Aaron. Moses is to take this message to the high priest. So we've seen this phrase, the Lord spoke to Moses. I'd encourage you to underline it. This is the 19th time this is mentioned in Leviticus, 18 before, and then after This chapter, we will find 18 more mentions of this book. And it appears that this instruction is important. We have seen in previous chapters that sin, intentionally or unintentionally, things like sickness or being unclean, are matters that keep God's people from purity. As we come to this, we ask how can we escape? His punishment. How can we remove ourselves from our guilt? How can we remove ourselves from our impurity? And how may God dwell before us? The next day, we didn't decide, let's go sleep in magnetic sand again. We woke up, we took care of the issue, and it went forward. Sin is much more different and more serious than colored sand. How is the Lord to be patient with them and dwell before them? So we see in verse 3 and 4 the entrance into the sanctuary. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. So there are some preparations that are to be done on this specific day. There were to be made two sacrifices on behalf of the priests, and then following there are to be offerings presented for Israel. So we see a bull offering for purification or a sin offering mentioned here and then a ram for a burnt offering. So the priest who is supposed to be holy and set apart, who is to be pure before the Lord, the first thing he is to do on this day is say, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need to share before my God that I am, in fact, guilty. We see mention of clothes here in verse 4. And I have to really slow down and understand the significance of this. On this day, the priest wears a humble shirt, something kind of like shorts, a sash, and a turban, all made of the same linen. And what he wears on this very important day is far less elegant than what he would wear on a regular day. Exodus 28 describes his vestments being put together with precious colors and linens, jewelry, and metals. But here we find him dressing as a slave or a servant. He's to clothe himself lower than a common priest. Why? My assumption is As he is before the Lord's throne, he is not to rob any glory for himself. As he enters into this process of asking for forgiveness, this request of an apology, he lowers himself. Verse 5 through 10, this is the selection of the scapegoat. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azel. So there is a lot of controversy and discussion. If you have the ESV, it's mentioned Azel. You probably have a footnote. I really love the footnotes that are in the ESV translation. I find it to be um, really helpful, especially like the end of Mark's gospel and other passages. Azel. Um, so, what is this goat or this Azel that's being sent out? And there are three different theories, and I'm not wanting to spend a whole lot of time on this, um, but one idea is that this goat is being sent out to or as a demon. You can find this throughout um, Israel's theology as it plays out. Not within the Old Testament, but other writings from different rabbis. Um, Also, the construction of this word, some people believe that this goat is referenced as one that goes on rocky ground as he is an exile from the camp. More of the traditional historical view is this is just simply a goat that is sent out. If you put this word together, if you know the Hebrew and see how it's constructed, you just have a simple translation. This goat goes out as the goat that is a part. It is set out. Verse 9, And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. So this means the goat, one of them is going to be killed right there and made as an offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement for it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azel. So these sacrifices are being made. One is to die. The consequence of sin is death. Yet one is to remain, and we'll see that soon it's going to be cast out. I think yet another consequence of our sin, exile and death. We see this in the garden as the Lord brings an animal and he slaughters it, and then he has Adam and Eve removed from his garden. He is intentionally sent out to wander. 11 through 14. Now we see purification of the altar. You see these steps, they go kind of closer and closer and closer into the Holy of Holies, and then there will be steps as they regress out from there. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals Of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. So in verse 11 through 16a, the high priest enters the most holy place. This is where God's presence dwells. This is almost as if Adam or one of his sons were brave enough and able to re-enter into the garden. I want you to think about the longing these people have to enjoy the closeness of the Lord. I want you to think about how far away you might feel because of your sin and because the benefits of Christ, how easy it is to come before him with assurance of salvation. We don't wait a year that the road in which we pursue forgiveness is re Not only do we not wait a year, we don't wait for a representative to do it on our behalf. We don't hear second or third hand of the mysteries of this forgiveness, but the Holy Spirit testifies within us that we are reconciled to God and that we are his children. We say then that there's going to be a, pro- a progression outwards of the holy place in 16b and later that the burnt offerings will be done uh, out on the, uh, on the altar visible of the camp. This should remind us as we're reading these instructions, Aaron was able to enter the most holy of places and he's able to do so because the merit of the blood in which he brings with these sacrifices. He's following the instructions. Death has occurred. Blood is being brought. As Jeff has been reminding us in Hebrews, the author says in chapter 9, verse 12, he, that's Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is the beauty of the gospel, beloved. You don't get to heaven by me, or your pastors, or your parents, or someone else's works. You don't get to heaven by ceremonialism. You get to heaven by the faithful high priest, Jesus, who didn't slay a bull, or a calf, or a ram, or a sheep, but presented his own blood before God. I dare you to even consider competing your works against Christ. They fall short. I want to assure you that he does not need any help from us to purchase your righteousness. What you bring is sin and confession and you are washed clean sweet incense are also mentioned in this uh, area there is a lot of places I could go and we don't have that much time and my brain is jello from this week to be honest But incense are offered here. And it's believed that this incense, as it is offered up, creates a cloud. And as the high priest is in the Holy of Holies, it still serves as yet another veil to shield his eyes from God's glory, lest he die. Number 16 also speaks of incense being something that serves as an atonement. So here he is, dressed as a sermon... Uh, servant, confessing his sins, coming in with holy blood, and yet there is still a mysterious veil that covers whatever the image of God may be. Verse 14, and he shall take some of the blood of the bowl and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Blood is used. Blood is to be received. Atonement for the sanctuary, verse 15 through 17. Then he shall kill the goat of the, skin offer, the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of this mercy seat. So this mercy seat, there might be a typo there for you. Forgive me. This mercy seat is actually the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Within this Ark of the Covenant is the Lord's commandments. This is where the Lord dwells or rests in. And on top of this, he is to sprinkle blood. Verse 16 Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Hebrews 7.26 says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. The first thing he does is he asks for forgiveness of himself. Then he asks for forgiveness of the people. Christ simply serves as a sacrifice for us. I imagine Aaron was a reputable man. I fully believe he had a heart unto the Lord and that he was very faithful. I have other heroes of the faith that I love. You visit my home and you'll realize I love John Owen. And if you don't, we're being patient with you. He's awesome. Uh, Martin Luther, J.I. Packer, brothers here who I look up to, But beloved, how timid would it be if they served as my representative to Christ? One thing I love about dead theologians is I know all the mistakes they've made, and I can pivot and and, and swing. A scary thing about the theologians and the pastors and examples that live now in my life—I don't—I don't don't know where they're going to go. I've been surprised by a couple people. You—you were so solid up until now. I'm not going to throw celebrity pastors under the bus here. That's not appropriate. I pray that I will be faithful in all things. Only one may come at this time. There's not to be any activity, no busyness in the tent of meeting while Aaron goes in to purify things. All concentration. There's to be a solemnness among the people as these things are being cleansed. So there's a purification now of the altar in 18 through 19. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the people of Israel." So this is how the altar remains presentable and acceptable before God. A continual offering before it, a sprinkling upon it yearly so that when they come to worship the Lord they are not so profane, it is not so unpure that it becomes an insult or wrong. That is a lot of work. That that is a, a scary and frightful thing. Apologies now, seeking for forgiveness now, is still terrifying. Can we not relate to that? Have you ever had high anxiety knowing that you had to apologize? Sleepless nights knowing that you were wrong? Now we come to the scapegoat sent out. And when he had made an end of atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, underline uh, both hands, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So at this point, he has left the Holy of Holies. He has left the holy place. The priest is now at the tent of meeting. We're now descending from the central location of the temple. And he brings out this goat for all the people to see. All the people know what is about to happen here. Blood blood has been spilled. Sacrifices have been killed. But now a curse is going to be placed on this goat. So both of the priest's hands are mentioned here, and this is a special action different from previously where a hand is placed on an animal. This is not just to represent this priest's sin, but all the people's sins. Sins. And they are to be transferred. This works as a substitute. This is where we get the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Our guilt, our transgressions, are placed on something else. It's not us. But what are we to do with it? Well, we are to cast it out. In slowing down in my reading, in this section we find that they are to confess and they confess their iniquities or you might have wickedness they confess their transgressions or maybe rebellion and they confess their sins their guilt is it really are you are, is forgiveness really truly having its effect if one does not confess sin so th- there's times I've had to forgive people because they didn't know what they did and to bring it up would just cause all sorts of chaos. But, but say guilt is upon you and you want to be forgiven. What's one of the most essential steps needed in order to bring reconciliation? Confession. Confession. And this is something I want us to be in a healthy habit of here. Not that, that we walk around at, at WCC always solemn and depressed and sad and overwhelmed on how corrupt and awful we are. I do not want to be in a church like that. But I want us to be a body that understands how to reconcile. And I, and I pray for me and for you that when we don't seek forgiveness, and when we don't confess that the Holy Spirit would, in a very holy way, convict us, that He would unsettle our soul, that our conscience would not be dead but sensitive, and that we would live in healthy relationship to one another. We are prone to wickedness, to rebellion and to guilt we should be honest and upfront about that and ready to forgive and beloved giving forgiveness to another that is the most beautiful and valuable gift you could give anyone gifts of hospitality beautiful financial gifts great forgiveness life giving Provides confidence, assurance, love, peace, growth. It glorifies God. And all it costs is us to be humble and approachable and willing. Not that it is easy. Not that it's easy. I don't want you to have the impression whatsoever. You just say the words. No, like these are things deep in our soul and in our heart. Our our, our heart wants to, to flinch and to hold on or it's leaking Persevere. Ask that the Lord would grant you strength in this. Look to Christ and be reminded of the sins you've been forgiven and how you have been brought close to him. Seek to be a similar extension of grace to your brother or sister. Not that their salvation depends on your attitude, but show them love. Mirror Christ. We do not have to wait on this goat to be sent out Thanks be to gone. That would be really interesting to think of us on one Sunday going out those two doors and just peeking to see where one of us was given the privilege of exiling this little goat. That would be interesting. I can't imagine what that feels like. I imagine there's that relief. It is now gone. Things are now clean. We have no, now more boldness and assurance. But we were provided a lamb. and it is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world john the baptist tells us so now we have the exiting the sanctuary of the, the tent of meeting verse 23 then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there and he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offerings, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. Notice within every step, he is continually making a sacrifice. He is being rich in offering forgiveness unto the Lord. The Lord is allowing him to continually have something before him to protect him, to clean him. And the fat of the sin offering shall burn on the altar, and he who lets the goat go to Azel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. It's not appropriate for this to dwell among them. Verse 28. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. So those who are directly involved in all this process, in one sense they are made holy by offering these things, but in another sense they are still made dirty. So so they're they're offering this blood to be received, but then the reality is they're dirty with blood. They're wearing death all over themselves, skin and refuse. So they are to be washed. So they're to be washed. Verse uh, 29 through 34. There's the command to observe the day of atonement forever. And it shall be a statute to you forever. Then the 17th month On the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves. You shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, or is it a Sabbath among Sabbaths? And you shall afflict yourselves. It is statute forever. So we'll stop right there. This is no vacation. It's possible that they fasted. They removed work from themselves. It's believed even from some scholars, biblical relations were not happening within the home. You know what I mean by that. This is a time when they seriously set all things on hold and prepare their souls. Verse 32 And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the whole in linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be the statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel. Once in the year, because all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. It ends verse 34, mentioning that Aaron was faithful in this. The way in which I presented this chapter might remove you from the repetitiveness of it, might not. These steps are described over and over and over again. And I think why it's described over and over and over again is to support that this is a statute that Israel was to have forever. However, we don't have anything like this in the New Testament, do we? Why don't we have anything like this in the New Testament? Listen to Jeff's next sermon. I mean, Hebrews. Hebrews points out to this. We have a great high priest. We have a... perfect, spotless lamb. There is no need for us to have a mediator anymore. We are not in need of a priest. We are not in need of a bull or a ram. But we have Jesus Christ. My urge for you today, if you are seeking forgiveness, if you are desiring to be washed clean and have your guilt removed, confess Christ. Place your sins upon him. As he was taken out of the city gates and nailed to a cross and was crushed for our transgressions. And in that confession, receive washing of the Spirit. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, I thank you so much for your goodness. Father, I thank you that you have provided a sacrifice. I thank you for the boldness in which Christ had that he conquered death that he washes away our sins and that we enjoy forgiveness Father may we be a people that seek reconciliation with you and with man we thank you so much for this salvation it's in Christ's name we pray Amen